Amen. Now God is so good to us. You know, we're continuing on in our study of beholding his glory as we lead up to the cross and uh, Easter and, 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 and the events of Jesus' life, that last week of his life. But uh, today I wanna, I'm going to be in John 15. And if you uh, have your scripture and want to go ahead and open up to that, we'll get to that in just a moment. You know, I was thinking uh, this week, and I was thinking about it, and you know, last week's sermon was, was strong, uh, wasn't it? I mean, it was powerful. And, and really, when we think about that, there's no watering down uh, what Jesus said. I mean, as, as we are followers of Jesus Christ, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our Master, so uh, what he says goes. And uh, if we believe the Bible then we must say that Jesus is indeed the only way to God. Amen. And, um, you know, uh, a while back, <laughs> uh, it's been a, probably a year and a half ago or more, but uh, somebody emailed me a link and I, I ran across it and I was, um, it was a funny video uh, that's actually in German. And, um, but you don't need to know German in order to understand and get the point. So there's a young lady, and I'm going to show the video in just a moment, but I want to kind of let you know what's happening so that when you see it, you'll realize that. The young lady had asked her, her father how he likes the new iPad that he got for her for his birthday. And um, he says, well, it's good. It's fine. She's asking him if he's able to use the apps and stuff like that. And um, as she's watching him, he's using his iPad as a cutting board. And he's chopping his vegetables. And he goes over and he, he scrapes them off into the, the pot of soup that he's making. And then he rinses it off under the water and then he puts it in the dishwasher. Okay? You just got to watch her expression the whole time this is going on. But if you have the video, go ahead and roll the video. Sag mal, Papa, habe ich dich noch gar nicht gefragt. Wie kommst du eigentlich mit dem neuen iPad zurecht, was wir dir zum Geburtstag geschenkt haben? Gut. Mit den ganzen Apps kommst du klar? Was denn für Apps? Geh mal bitte in die Schritt zur Seite. I'm fairly sure there were no iPads that were harmed in the filming of this episode. You know, in, in real life, it's no laughing matter. When you see something costly that's not being used to fulfill its intended purpose, or even worse, being used for something that is contrary to its purpose. You know, in, in Buena Vista, Colorado, there's an old church building there that is now being used for the visitor center and museum. And, you know, I think how sad, a place that was built so that God's people could gather and sing his praises and hear his word proclaimed, and now it's being used for a far less purpose. But the saddest of all is when people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, they fail to live for the purpose for which he saved us for. I mean, he, he died. It was a costly thing that Jesus did on the cross. 
And as people, we drift through life like the the unredeemed people around us and living to accumulate more stuff so that we think that somehow it's going to make us happier before we die. But we never stop to consider what God wants us to do with the few precious years and the gifts that he gives us. You know, a man plants a vineyard for a different reason than one who plants a flower garden. I mean, we plant flower gardens so we can enjoy the, the, the beautiful flowers, but if you plant a vineyard, your purpose is to harvest a crop of grapes off of that vineyard. Your goal is that your vineyard would bear a lot of fruit. If it all, all it produces is flowers and leaves, then your efforts in planting are in vain. They've failed. So in our text... Jesus gives the disciples a picture that God reveals his purpose in saving them. He, he gives the, the disciples a picture, and it shows them what God's purpose is in saving them. And, and he wants them to bear much fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit in this life. And Jesus himself pictures himself as the, uh, the true vine, and, and the Father as the vine dresser. The one who takes care of the vine. And the disciples are, are the branches. And understand that he is speaking here. He is teaching his disciples. And, and this is, I want to say, kind of for, for believers only. He's, he's talking intimately here with his disciples. Not the multitude. He's, not, he's, he's talking with those who have walked with him and followed him for the last three years. They've been all in. They've been with him. And his words are to those who have already established a relationship with him. He's speaking to them. Look at John 15, if you will. John chapter 15. I want to read down through verse 17. It's a little bit lengthy, but um, we'll we'll cover it um, this morning. Um, He says there, he says, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. For this, excuse me, this I command you that you love one another. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have your word. And Lord Jesus, thank you for, for teaching. And Holy Spirit, I ask even now that you would just illuminate our hearts and our minds to see the truth of, of your word. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in this. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were reading in John 13, and Jesus was in the upper room, and he had shared the Passover with uh, his disciples, and then he washed their feet. And then um, last week we read, you know, he said, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this week, in this passage, we need to understand that Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room on their journey to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to pray and in a, a few short hours, he's going to be beaten, and then he's going to be crucified on the cross. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to the garden to say, Lord, Father, not my will, but, but thine be done. And, and so he's on the way with the disciples to do that. And Jesus is only hours from the cross, and in these final moments... In these final moments with his disciples, he knows the time is coming to an end. He is pouring out as much truth into their lives as time will allow. He's been walking with them, but now it's time for his departure. And he's like, what can I tell them? What can I say to them? What is most important that they know before I go? See, the words before us go to the heart of successful and, and I want to say fruitful Christian living because if, if your life is fruitful, then you are successful as a Christian. Amen. I'm not talking about success like the world talks about success. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about cars. I'm not talking about land. I'm not talking about notoriety or any of that. What I'm talking about is being fruitful for the kingdom of God. Very important. See, the words before us go to the very heart of that. And, and our journey to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, they pass by, as they're walking, they pass by the temple in Jerusalem. On their way to the garden, they pass by the temple. And on the temple, they see <laughs> one of the chief ornaments there is a golden vine with a cluster of grapes as, as large as a man's hand. And the, and the decoration becomes a basis for this visual parable. And Jesus uses the motif of a, of a vine and, and, and its branches to illustrate a spiritual truth. His interaction with these men is as alive 
as the relationship of the vine with its branches. See, the reality is very soon Jesus will be back in heaven with the Father. He recognizes that he will be back in heaven. His work on earth will be left to the hands of these men. And the extent to which they understand the truths that they're hearing from their master is the extent to which they will fulfill God's purposes for their lives. And what was true of his disciples is also true of us. As believers today, you know, mature saints, mature saints of God are made, they're not born. Successful and fruitful Christians have discovered the keys to fruitful living. And I want to share those with you. There, there are no shortcuts. And you might, I just want to ask the question, how are you getting along? You know, in your spiritual life, in your life, in this, in this Christ life, how are you getting along? Does your life, your spiritual life, does it reflect growth? Are you growing spiritually? Are you progressing in that? Are you maturing in that? Are you bearing fruit in your Christian life? See, I would say there's going to be four keys here, and I want to share these with you. The first key is fruitfulness. If you look at verse 2 in chapter 15, Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. It's interesting that fruit, the word fruit, is referred to no less than eight times in these first six verses. That's quite a bit. A lot of fruit. And I believe that leaves no doubt that Jesus expects his followers to bear fruit in their lives. But we also need to look at another important word here. It's found in verse 2, 4, 5, 8, and 16. And it's the word bear. Not talking about a mammal. I'm not talking about, you know, a, a grizzly bear. It, the word is bear, to bear fruit. And, and, and this word is important because it puts our responsibilities into context. I mean, to bear fruit does not mean that it is our responsibility to produce fruit. The word bear carries the idea of holding forth, of displaying of presenting the fruit. The branch holds, it displays, it presents the fruit. But the life of the vine is what produces the fruit. It just happens naturally through the Holy Spirit in our life. He will bear the fruit in our life. Our responsibility is just to display that fruit, to present that fruit. And, 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 and you know, it's so, we, we need to understand that the source of our fruit is from the life of the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. So the source of fruit in our life is Jesus Christ in us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. See, the source of the fruit is Christ, and the fruit of the Christian life is simply the life of Christ 
in replication, in reproduction of his life in the life of his people. When others see Jesus in you, it's his life in you. The life of Christ in the life of his people. See, the apostle Paul, he puts light on this subject in Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Did you hear those? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Some of our homes, we don't have much love. Some of our lives, we don't have much peace. We certainly don't have much patience. We can be some of the most impatient people in all of the world. What about self-control? Goodness, kindness. I mean, the list is there. I ask that because when you examine this list, you will observe that the spiritual fruit does not grow from the natural man. This doesn't just happen. It must have another source. And the Holy Spirit within us is the source of the fruit. So if we're going to be, have fruitfulness in our life, then we have to have the Holy Spirit within us. It is the Holy Spirit that bears the fruit. The second key is abiding. Verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says this. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Once again, we need to recognize the repetition of the words here. Nine times in seven verses, we see the word abide. I mean, it's it's a kind of emphasis that screams for attention. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling you and me, that if there is to be growth, if there is to be maturity, if there is to be productivity and fruitfulness, we must remain, we must abide. What does it mean to abide? (laughs) It means to settle down and stay in one place. To settle down and to stay in one place. It means that we don't live out of a suitcase and move from place to place and, and never establish any roots or any relationships. To abide means that we put down roots and establish ourselves in our location. And that location is in Jesus Christ. We abide in him. This is so important because this principle is packed with spiritual implications. Jesus is simply saying that fruit-bearing Christians are Christians who abide in him. They routinely, regularly, as a matter of lifestyle, spend quality and quantity time in God's word and in fellowship with him through prayer 
in our worship, fellowshipping with the Lord. I mean, that's the source of the fruitfulness. It's pretty simple stuff, but it's very basic, but it's very um, packed with implications. Because if we're not abiding in Christ, if we don't put down roots and stay with him, if we're here, there, all over the place, what happens is, is we don't grow in him. We're not abiding in him. I mean, scripture tells us, be still and know that I am God. Abide in him. This leads to the next key. If fruitfulness is connected to our abiding in Christ, then our abiding in Christ is connected to obeying. (laughs) There's a word we don't like. Our kids and grandkids don't like it, and neither do we. Obey. When someone says you must obey, your spine gets about an inch and a half taller. You kind of buck up at it. When someone says, you must obey. We don't like it. We have a problem with it because we think we're in charge. And we think, you know what? I don't have to obey. Yes, you do. Each one of us has to obey, especially if we want to be fruitful in the kingdom. You know, sometimes I'm asked about that and I consider, you know, what is the most important word in a believer's vocabulary? I can answer without hesitation, it's obedience. Whatever God is telling you to do, whatever you sense him doing in your life, all I can say is surrender to him and be obedient to what he's asking you to do. Well, we want to give all kinds of excuses. You see, I believe that the that our usefulness, our effectiveness, and our holiness are in direct proportion to our obedience to the revealed truth of God's word. What we know about God's word. And we're educated beyond our level of obedience. We know more about what God's word says than we obey. And folks, we've got to come to that point of obedience. Obedience is a critical element in the Christian life. You see, disobedience causes a spiritual logjam in our lives. It blocks the, life, the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit and it thwarts our growth and, and our usefulness and our fruitfulness. And so I ask the question today to each one of us, myself included, is my obedience up to date? Is my obedience where it needs to be? Because it's been my experience that when I tell the Holy Spirit no, I'm not going to do that. When I'm disobedient to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, you know what, Ridge? You can sit down right there and wait until you're obedient. It's kind of like when you had to eat your vegetables when you were a kid. And they wouldn't let you get up from the dinner table until you finished them, or at least ate some of them. The Holy Spirit works in that way too. He says, you want to do your own thing? Fine. You're going to do it on your own power. Don't look at me. You're on your own on this one. If you want my power, then you need to walk with me and be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. It's a very simple concept. Disobedience, partial obedience is disobedience. And so when we think about obedience, you know, the disobedience causes that log jam. It, 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 
It keeps us from doing what God asks us to do. So how can we at Memorial increase our obedience to the Lord? What can we do to increase our obedience to the Lord? And this leads me to the next key. We have fruitfulness, we have abiding, we have obeying. The fourth key is loving. He says there in verse nine, he says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, love is a wonderful and powerful motivation. We see love moving people to go far beyond the call of duty. Duty will only take you so far, but love will take you beyond duty. Love will make you do things that you never thought you would do. Love for your grandkids will take you even further. Things you thought you would never do. We see this played out. We see this love in in, in the love of country. I mean, we are amazed at how people who love their country are willing to dig in and fight a foreign invading army. Come hell or high water. And basically over my dead body will I give this land to you. We see that kind of love for love of country or, or maybe love of family. You know, a first world problem is probably love of hobby. People do things because they enjoy it a lot more because of the love that they have for their hobby. But we also see this among Christians, people who love the Lord and will go far beyond the call of duty because they love him. And that's what brings about the obedience. You see, love produces loyalty and commitment. Love produces faithful service. Love produces sacrifice and other evidences of affection. It is love that produces the obedience. (laughs) And obedience is what produces the fruit. So if we're not being fruitful in the kingdom of God, we don't have an obedience problem. We have a love problem. We don't love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if we did, that love would lead us to obedience. And that obedience would lead us to fruit. You know, throughout my pastoral ministry, I've participated in short-term and even some longer-term mission trips. And and I love missions. I love missionaries. And I I found myself in some places of the world where, you know, you you have to ask them, why are you compelled to be here? Of all the places in the world, what makes it here? And without a doubt, the reply is always the same. This is the call of God on my life, and I love these people, and I love this culture. See, the love for the people God has called them to compels them to serve, even in hard times, even when times aren't ideal, even when things go badly. You know, this this principle should hold true in our Christian lives. I mean, when we think about this, our love for Christ should compel us to obey him and to faithfully serve him. 
And if you desire to be a more obedient Christian, increase your love for Christ. Start loving him more. Start spending some time with him. Start hanging out with him and opening his word and obeying his word as you read his word and you see something that you're not obedient to. Become obedient to that. And your love for him will increase. You continue to increase your love. Your obedience increases and your fruitfulness will increase. Because it will also (laughs) increase your abiding and your fruitfulness. You know, apparently Bruce Wilkinson is not much of a gardener. And in his book, Secrets of the Vine, he tells about moving out to the country. (laughs) And um, there's a fence that that he shares with a a neighbor. And on that fence is a a vine of, of grapes and it's, it, he's, he's looking at it and his family's looking at this grapevine and they're looking forward to maybe enjoying some grapes in the fall off of this grapevine. And a few days after moving in, he sees his neighbor back there and his neighbor's uh, just chopping away with some big shears at that grapevine. And um, Bruce Wilkinson, he doesn't know about that. He, he's thinking, man, this guy's going to kill that vine. And so trying to be diplomatic, he goes back there, he asks his neighbor, he says, uh, you, you don't like grapes, I guess. And he said, no, I love grapes. And he tried to express the hopes that, you know, they could share some of those grapes maybe, but his confusion and disappointment over what this guy is doing is obvious. And so after looking at this and, and the guy understanding, well, he's probably from the city, so uh, he surmised that he didn't know much about grapes. And so the neighbor explained, he said, well, son, We can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves filling up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes you and your family have ever seen. But we cannot have both. No man can serve two masters. We can't have it both ways. We either have all of that imagery or we bear fruit but it's one or the other. It's not both. He knew that to bear good fruit, the vine had to be pruned. See, you can't bear fruit for the Lord unless the heavenly gardener prunes your life. And pruning isn't very pleasant. We don't like it. We don't like it when it's happening, but we like the results of it. It's just like discipline. We don't like discipline but we like the results of discipline. The fact is, is that when we become a Christian, we come into the Christian life, we bring a whole lot of flesh with us. We bring a whole lot of the world with us. And the reality is, is God has to trim us back. And thank God he doesn't start hacking away at us, man. We'd bleed to death because we're so wild and wooly from the world but he trims us back he he prunes us back and if you want to be like Christ it's got to go let it go let him have his way it sounds unpleasant but keep in mind his aim is that his joy would be in us and that our joy would be made to the full he doesn't want you shriveling on the vine He wants you to be abundant and have abundant fruit, but you've got to submit 
to the pruning process, trusting that the Father knows what he's doing. The last thing I want to talk about here is friends. You know, friends are a wonderful and important part in life. We all have lots of friends. I remember going through seminary, one of my my professors said, two things will most influence where you will be 10 years after you graduate from seminary. One will be the books that you read. The other one will be the, the friends that you choose. And he said, make sure you choose both very wisely. What we read and who we hang out with has a lot of impact on what we're doing. That's why I say you got to be in the word. You know, this was, of course, a long time before Facebook came into existence where you could friend just about anything and everything. Uh, And by the way, the greatest friend that you can have is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's there's several hymns that, that, that we sing and used to sing that celebrate this wonderful truth. I mean, what a friend we have in Jesus. I mean, we think about the words to those songs. I've found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. I've found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. We know this. And D.A. Carson, he cautions that we need to be careful about being too chummy about being too chummy in calling Jesus our friend. You know, in the Bible, God and the Lord Jesus call certain ones their friends. But no person in the Bible ever refers to God or Jesus as their friend. It's not a mutual, reciprocal relationship The Bible refers to both Abraham and Moses as friends of God. The Bible refers, they never called themselves that. The Bible refers to them as that. Jesus here calls the disciples his friend, but he is still their teacher and their master. Although at the Last Supper you see the young apostle John laid his head on Jesus' chest and many years later when he saw Jesus in his glory he fell at his feet like a dead man he could not stand seeing Jesus in full glory so as we consider whether we are friends of Jesus we need to maintain John's reverence there and the question I'd like you to think about and ask yourself as I close is would Jesus call me his friend. You know, in the, in the Greek text here in, in verse 16, there are two parallel clauses here. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. The first clause shows why God chose and appointed his disciples. And the second one shows how that purpose would be fulfilled. I mean, I could paraphrase it like this. I chose and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, abiding fruit, which you will do by asking the Father in my name. 
When was the last time you prayed for your life to be fruit? For your life to bear fruit in the vine? So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. You know, while it, while it can be helpful for us to receive training and sharing our faith, we always need to keep in mind that making disciples who go on with Christ is not dependent on our methods or on our, you know, slick sales techniques or closing the deal because only God can produce a transformed person who abides. And he does it through something that's called the supernatural new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. We are born physically, but we also must be born spiritually. Jesus gives new life to the spiritually dead. It's as if he says to each one of us, Ridge, Lazarus, come forth. He gives us new life. Prayer is the God-given necessity behind evangelism. Before you talk to a person about God, talk to God about that person. See, each one of us needs to make a list of the people in our life who don't know Christ, who've never professed him and begin to pray for their salvation. He just may be the means that God uses to bring them to salvation. Fruitfulness, abiding, obeying, and loving. These are the keys to bearing much fruit. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I I ask that you would bear fruit in our lives. Lord Jesus, you are the vine, we are the branches. And Father, if we're not bearing fruit in our lives, it means we have an obedience problem. We have an abiding problem. But we also have a loving problem. Father, I pray that you would return us to our first love. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts. That, Father, we would be grieved over our lack of fruitfulness. Jesus, you are so costly. Your death was so costly. Father, I pray that that we would recognize the cost of that. And Father, that because of that, of taking a new look at the cross, we would recognize that how much it cost you for the forgiveness of our sins to pay my sin debt. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to bear fruit in your kingdom, that we would indeed be your witnesses. Father, that it wouldn't be just something that we just bump along and, no, oh, don't care, it doesn't matter. But Father, that, that we would be daily seeking, seeking to love you more, 
to know you better, to grow in intimacy with you. Father, that we would spend time in your word, that we would get to know you, that we would abide in you. And because we are abiding in you, we would be obeying you. And because of that obedience, Father, that you would bear fruit in our lives. Father, I pray that we would be transformed, that we would be a transformed people. Father, that the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that fruit would be manifested in each of our lives. And Father, that those around us who don't know you would be asking, what do you have that I don't have? How can you be at peace when the world is in turmoil? Father, that they would see you. Lord Jesus, that they would see you in us. Father, I pray that you would move us today from where we are to where you want us to be. Father, if that's moving into a relationship with Jesus that we've never had before, confessing him as our Lord and Savior, that we would do that today. Father, if that is becoming a part of this church, putting in here and working and serving, building your kingdom right here in Temple, Texas. Father, whatever it is that you are putting on our heart, I pray that we would be obedient to that. And Father, that you would use us to build your kingdom for your glory, for your honor. And God, that we would die to self, that we would take up the cross daily and follow you. Your word says, for I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Father, may that be true of each one of us. as we become obedient to you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.